0: community. Amen? Amen. All right, let's get into today's teaching. And I want to focus on the gospel of Matthew. Because Jesus is traveling around. He spends three years as an itinerant rabbi and preacher, performing miracles, proclaiming the good news that God's kingdom is here. And the gospel of Mark really emphasizes the humanity of Jesus and the the cost that Jesus himself Incurred over those three years. I mean, three years of taking no breaks, three years of being exhausted and having to sleep when you could in the middle of storms on boats. I always think it's funny that the Gospels record Jesus carried a pillow with him. I'm like, that's funny. You just think if he can grab 40 winks here and there, he just lay down in the back of the boat. You know, and you, you get the sense that it's all leading up to this moment where Jesus is going to put all of the powers of darkness, oppression, religion, on notice he's going to grab him by the collar and shake him up and you imagine jesus getting ready to come into jerusalem and and he's thin he's he's tired He's worn down. He's stressed out. He knows that things are starting to fracture among his closest followers. He knows that Judas is going to betray him. He's not sure how, doesn't know, need to know all the details. He just, he can feel it. He knows that his final confrontation with the temple authorities is on its way, and he knows that they're going to kill him. He knows that everybody everywhere is looking to shut him up and shut him down. That's his state of mind when he says to the disciples, Go get a room ready go get a colt go get a donkey make sure you got your sword and we're going into town now when people get the news that jesus is coming into jerusalem for this great showdown they're excited matthew says they start singing songs they start quoting scripture they're remembering old prophecies Most people, Matthew says, take off their coat and their cloak and they lay it down in front of the colt and the donkey. Some people, Matthew says, start chopping down palm branches off of nearby trees, waving them in the air and laying them down. So there's this huge, spontaneous fanfare as Jesus comes in. And Jesus is going through Jerusalem to the temple. Now you can imagine the tenor of that crowd. Here's the guy who's been healing everybody. Here's the guy who's been talking about the kingdom of God. Here's the guy who tells us he's the true temple. Where's he going? He's, he's going to the temple. I wonder what he's going to do at the temple. Now remember, Jesus was a well known figure in the temple. Like, he taught there. Some scholars and historians suggest that maybe he even learned there officially as some kind of rabbinical student. The temple had guards had its own internal police force, and yet they don't stop Jesus. I mean, you think if he's coming, I mean, if, if I was coming to the Vatican and there were huge groups of people gathered around me and they're all tearing off their clothes and waving around bits of nature, you, you don't think that the, what are they, the, the fancy little guys that work at the Vatican? You, you don't think the sissy guards are going to try and stop me from getting in? No, the, but, but they let Jesus in because everybody wants to see what he's going to do. And here's what Matthew's gospel says in chapter 21. As Jesus entered the temple, he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it's written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Now, one upon a time, we had this idiot guy show up at Westwinds and he went into our bookstore and he starts grabbing stuff off the bookstore and he said, you've turned my house into a den of robbers. I'm like, I don't think that's the same thing, but okay, I guess I'll clean up your mess when you leave. And he said, Why don't you think it's the same thing? You're selling things at church. They were selling things at church. And it was, I'm like, No, no, they weren't selling things at church. They were extorting money from the poor. This is very different. Remember, during the season of Passover, when Jesus comes for this confrontation, everybody came to make offerings. They would come to buy doves. They would come to buy um, lambs. They would come to buy oxen. They would come to, to make supplication to the God of their forefathers. And because the priests and the temple establishment knew that was happening, they hiked up the prices. So they were exploiting people. Now, when this guy came in and tore down our bookstore, nobody was like, yes, finally, justice for the oppressed. But watch what happens to the crowd when Jesus overturns the temple. Because right, they're watching him. Here he comes. He's coming. to the, Here is the son of David, Mashiach, Savior, the, the, the hope of the world. He's coming to the temple. What's he going to do? He knocks it over. How do they respond? Well, Matthew 21, verse 14, and the blind and the lame, they came to him in the temple. He attracts a crowd, and Jesus healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that Jesus did, and they heard the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to Jesus, Do you hear what these kids are saying? And Jesus replied, Yes. Didn't you ever read it? Out of the mouths of babes. You, O Lord, have prepared praise. And then Jesus left and went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. That's probably a smart move, Jesus, because he wouldn't get any sleep if he stayed in the city. But look at the response of the people to Jesus' temple tantrum. They're happy. They're overjoyed. They think, yeah, now it's finally happening. Now he's getting us back on track. Now he's emphasizing the right things. Now he's elevating the right things. Now he's celebrating the right things. And people rejoice over it. Children are singing because the good news has taken flesh and God's getting us back on track. And there's such a tragedy here that the very people who ought to know what God wants, the very people who ought to be in line with what God does are the people who stand back. I mean, the professional religious people stand back and go, what are you doing, man? And part of me sympathizes with them. Because I remember what it was like to have some guy go and grab a book with my name on it and throw it on the ground and go, ha! I remember, like, that, that was a sucky feeling. But again, the, the context isn't identical. In fact, it's not, it's not even really close. So then I go, wait a minute, well, how did they miss it? I mean, yeah, they were indignant, but, but why? And I realized, oh, they, they had no way to appreciate passion because they were too hung up on respect. I mean, Jesus was acting disrespectfully. And because of his disrespect, they couldn't couldn't see the pure fire of God that was burning inside of them. Man, we miss it sometimes too like that. You know, somebody comes in, they they don't act the right way. We fail to appreciate their zeal. So somebody doesn't look the right way. You know, I, I suppose in some churches, if, if you show up and you're not wearing a suit, they look at you funny. Here, every time somebody shows up in a suit, I'm like, oh, no, this poor person's going to feel terrible. How do I look after them? You know, Somebody shows up, they don't, they don't do the right things. They don't say the right things. Maybe they, maybe they accidentally, maybe they even intentionally mess with our stuff. You know, I remember once somebody grabbing my Bible and needing a place to sit, it was on a chair, and so they just tossed my Bible on the floor, and the people gathered around and went, ah! as though, you know, as though God was getting his feelings hurt or something. You know, God's so fragile. <laughs> no. No, they couldn't appreciate passion because of disrespect. And they couldn't appreciate his healing power either. I mean, he comes in that the, 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 the lime and the blame, the blind and the lame are healed. You'd think that would have made everyone rejoice. Here's evidence of prophetic power. Elijah performed miracles. We knew he was righteous. Isaiah performed miracles. We knew he was righteous. Elisha performed miracles. We knew he was right. Jesus was performing miracles. But they can't celebrate it. They can't see it because he's reckless. He's reckless. Look at this commotion that he caused. Look at all these people he's got up and up. It's going to turn into a riot. We can't contain it. Look at how dangerous this is becoming. We have got to get him under control. Control? How can you control the life-giving power of God? If you're blind and somebody acts recklessly, and all of a sudden you can see again, are, are you really worried about how reckless they were? If you can't walk and somebody's uh, bombastic and then you can walk again, do you really care that they're sometimes in a I've been fortunate to have several surgeries in my life. Never once have I met a surgeon and thought, I'd like to hang out with this guy later, you know, maybe play hockey or grab a beer. I always thought, Oh, sweet Jesus. (laughs) But then at the end, I don't care what they look like. I don't care what their personality quirks are. I don't care about their fashion choices. I just care that I came out of the surgery and I'm okay. But for the people in charge of the temple, they couldn't get past what they perceived to be the collateral damage of Jesus' healing power. And it's so weird that they, they get... Nervous about these kids. Like, the kids are singing, Hosanna, this is the... I mean, how, how beautiful that that children love Jesus. That he's something of a pied piper. I mean, you, you could tell a whole story about the life of Jesus, just Jesus and little kids, and see how magnetically they're drawn to him. Now, you probably have somebody in your family, maybe you work with somebody, that, that kids just love that person. There's something pure about them that, just, that kids get that adults can appreciate, but not with the same sort of enthusiasm. Well, that that was Jesus. He was the guy that all the kids loved. So he shows up at the temple. How reckless could he have been? How dangerous could he have been? How violent was this temple tantrum, really, if all the kids come running up? Can you imagine the kids picking up all the money? (laughs) But, But the temple authorities can't get on board with celebrating Jesus the way the children celebrate Jesus. Because if they did, they'd have to acknowledge they were wrong. You know, to get totally on board with Jesus, you might have to acknowledge you've been wrong about a thing or two yourself. I know I have. I look back over the 25 plus years that I've been a pastor, and I think, man, I was... I was really cranky about some stuff in some of those earlier years and I was really worked up about making sure everybody thought through things exactly the way I think through things. But you know the more I give myself to Jesus, the more I study the way of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, the more I focus deeply on Jesus, the more I realize I'm he had a lot more grace than I do and was aware of a lot more sin than I ever have been. He knew how wrong some people were and how poorly some people behaved and he loved them anyway. And so then in my advanced old age of 44, I go, man, Jesus, maybe maybe I've been wrong about a few things. Maybe I got to start and become like a little child. Maybe I got to be born again, again, and again, and again, and again, coming with fresh eyes and an ardent and sincere heart to my heavenly father. Well, it's funny because when you analyze this story, and I just I just think there's so much here for us. There's so much here for me. I read this story a hundred times every year, and I get ready to preach on this story multiple times every year, and I always want to look for something new in it. and and, and I, I think of this dynamic between the temple authorities and Jesus, and, and for me, that's a really good dynamic, not just in ministerial terms, but... In personal terms, because there's always going to be people who don't like what you're doing when you're doing the right thing in the wrong way. And they're always going to want you to choose to be well-behaved rather than to be deep down right. And so I think we're wise to acknowledge that there's people Who want us to make a choice to be safe, to be like them, to be like everybody else. Because our misbehavior is troublesome to them. They don't want you to stand up for what you believe in because it irritates them. They got to put up with it. They don't want you to live out of the center of who you are it's different than the center of who they are and so they'll be knocking you around and they'll be talking badly about you you got to realize there's there's three choices you can you can never make meaning don't ever choose number one conformity over passion I don't know what happened over the last year But there's a great deal of pressure in our society from both the media and the government, but also our neighbors and our friends for everyone to just knock it off and stay in line. Now, I understand some of that stuff is health-related. You know, everybody should do the following few things to stay healthy, but but it's gone beyond that. Now there's pressure to talk a certain way or else you'd be canceled. There's pressure to, to think a certain way or else you're a bigot, or you're prejudiced, or you're privileged. There, there, there's pressure for you to, you know, behave a certain way, or else you're reckless, or you're inciting violence. Um, and and I think we ought to just take a minute and say, what is God saying to me about who I'm supposed to be and how I'm meant to live? And once you can answer that question and the answer would be a little bit different for everybody, then pour gasoline on it and live passionately. Live totally committed to the way of Jesus. And there's going to be opposition. But guess what? There's opposition if you're sitting at home wearing a mask in your home by yourself. I mean, there's opposition for everything at all times. So you're never going to be anything other than opposed. You're never going to have anything other than enemies. So why not have a spine and a little fire in your belly and live the way you meant to anyway? And, and please don't, I always imagine if I say things like that, there's people on the right who are like, finally! And there's people on the left who are like, yes! But I, I, I don't intend any of those things. What I intend is for us to understand that other people are always going to try and control you. They're always going to try to get you to be less. They're always going to try and get you to be manageable. They're always going to try and put you over here so they don't have to worry about you and they don't have to think about you. And your responsibility is not to let them. God made you to be the best possible version of yourself. The world needs you. Your church needs you. I need you. We need your support. We need your insight. We need your wisdom. We need your passion. And if you're busy becoming a cookie-cutter version of somebody's internet idea of America, we are all poorer for it. We need you. We need you to be fully alive. So don't ever choose conformity over passion. Don't ever choose the appearance of piety, number two, over the power of faith. I, I don't have a lot of patience, you, you probably pick up on this, for, for people who want to look. <laughs> I could have just stopped there, right? I was going to get more specific, like, oh yeah, we know, buddy, yeah, we got it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, One of the fruits of the Spirit is patience, I'm working on that. Um, <laughs> uh, I wish the fruit of the Spirit was good tattoos, that'd be all right there. But, um, I don't have a lot of patience for people who want to look spiritual. That drives me nuts. I think that drove Jesus nuts too. I think that's one of the things at yeah, play here that the temple establishment it was, it was nice. It was well-ordered, it was well-manicured and, and there's nothing wrong with all that until you make that a kind of idol. Um, and sometimes you get around Christian people and you know they got the Christian t-shirt on and they listen to the Christian music and they're gonna go to the Christian gym before they have Christian underwear. And you're just like, man, we, we sometimes get so worried about looking holy, that we forget the life-giving power of God can look any which way it wants. Uh, John the Baptist, anyone? You, you think he uh, was going to fit in at the Christian bookstore? Uh, tell me which church Jesus wouldn't have got kicked out of. Re- remind me how holy and what good Christians Um, Ezekiel was, for example, when he's lying on his his side for three and a half years, covered in animal poop, cutting off his beard with a sword. I mean, just just remind me what good Christian boy he is. Which church would the Apostle Paul not get kicked out of for making comparisons between people's self-congratulatory righteousness um, and menstrual rags? I mean... The Christian faith is provocative, it's powerful, it's prophetic. And when we domesticate it, we make it safe, we make it small. It doesn't have any more power. So never choose the appearance of piety over the power of faith. Man, you've got to trust that God is working on your behalf, for good things. And the good things God has in store for you may not necessarily be the exact good things that you're hoping for, but you've got to trust that what he's got is good. And when you pray, man, go to war for it. Ugly cry. One of the great joys of ministry at West Winds these days is the youth church that we have on Sunday nights. It's for guys and gals, 12 to 20. I love it. I love it. Every week we got kids studying the Bible. Every week kids are laying hands on each other, praying for each other. Every week they're laughing and making jokes and every week tearing apart the Bible, studying it, worshiping, writing music. It's it's awesome. It's awesome. It's exactly the way we want Christians to be. And I think how amazing will it be in five years or 20 years or five minutes when their belief when their sincerity, when their passion infects this room, how cool. I want to be led by the people that come after me. I want to be fired up by their example because they're not playing little Christian games They believe in the power of faith. They never choose conformity over passion. Number two, you never confuse the appearance of piety over the power of faith. And last but not least, number three, never choose security over promise. That's, that's what's going on with these little kids. These little kids are singing the song, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed are you, O son of David. That word David is important. That means they look at Jesus and they see a king. They look at Jesus and they see a new way of living. They look at Jesus and they see the start of something beautiful, the start of things that are going to come, that greater things are yet to come. They see the future, they see the promise, they see the hope, they see the opportunity. All of which puts the temple at risk all of which puts the chief priests at risk, all of which puts you and me at risk. But don't ever choose your security over the promise that God has got something even better for you in the future. And we're so scared right now. As a culture, we're so worried, not just of the pandemic, but we're worried about getting our feelings hurt worried about being isolated, worried about people saying mean things about us. We avoid pain, any pain. We run from it. But don't you know, like, we're never going to grow without a little discomfort. Like, you're never going to get any tougher if you run from the smallest fight. And we need to, at this exact moment, reclaim the idea of Jesus as he's portrayed in the Bible which is somebody who says, what you got? And for you and for me, it's time to stop being afraid. It's time to stop being afraid that people might not like you or people might make assumptions about you. People might judge you. People might hurt you might be hard. Might take a long time. Might require some effort. Okay. Okay. Don't forget who this guy was. He rode into a city filled with his enemies on a donkey. He was defended by little children while he walked into the heart of religious oppression and control and said, it's not supposed to be like this. And he turned over the tables in front of the guards, in front of the cops, in front of the priests, and said, it's time for us to make a change. And it's that time for you and me too, amen? Lord Jesus, we love you. We love your example. We love your grits. We love your gut. We love the way, Lord, that you you stand up for what's right. You stand up for the righteousness of God. You want us to be passionate people. Lord, rekindle the fires of your passion inside of us. Lord, you want us to be people who believe that anything is possible with you. So, Lord, give us greater and greater faith. You want us to be people who look to the future, believing that better days are coming, that greater things are yet to come? So, Lord, lift up our eyes. Show us the horizon, and we'll go there with you and for you. In your name we pray. Amen.